and welcome to another fabulous episode of The Animated Journey. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and this is a podcast where I interview animation professionals working in television, film, and games in a wide variety of roles. We're talking storyboard artists, layout artists, background designers, and today I have a great episode lined up for you guys. Guys, this is the reason why I started the show. One of my wonderful friends from school, Alice Zhu, won the Student Academy Award last year for her 3D animated film, Soar. It is a fantastic film. I've seen it. It's great. We have it in the show notes. All of you need to go and check it out. It is phenomenal. And she directed the film, she animated on the film, and it was a collaboration with our school. And so over a hundred students worked on this film to make it a reality. And this interview is just fantastic. Alice is a trifecta of talent. Not only is she an animation director, she is also a live action music video director, and she had an opportunity to animate over at Oculus Story Studio. And we dive directly into all of those things during the interview. You guys are gonna love it, it is so exciting. But before that starts, just wanted to let all of you know about different things that are happening in the world of animation. Uh, One of the really exciting things that I just found out is that the Criterion Collection has just announced that Fantastic Planet is going to be added to its lineup of Criterion films. And this is a big deal because, as far as I know, the only other animated film that's a part of the Criterion Collection is Watership Down, which, if you guys haven't seen that, you should. It is really interesting and really intense. It is a very intense film based on a very intense book, which you should also read. But Fantastic Planet, it's pretty great. It's a film from the 70s from a French director, René Laloux, and it's... I'm just going to go ahead and read directly from IndieWire.com, a politically-minded and visually inventive work of science fiction. I mean, it is a really, really cool film. And before it gets re-released, it really was hard to find as well. Um, I had a hard time finding it. You know, you couldn't really go out and buy it unless you wanted to get it on VHS. And I no longer have a VHS player. I actually was able to get it from the library. So that was pretty fantastic. But now I can go out and buy it. And it will be available on DVD and Blu-ray in June. And you can pre-order it on Amazon. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who has checked out our sponsor for the day, our Amazon affiliate. And if you visit www.theanimatedjourney.com and click on the banner on the right-hand side, uh, every time you click on that banner and go to Amazon and make your purchase and pre-order films like The Fantastic Planet, you'll be giving a little bit of money back to the show, and that'll help me with hosting costs, and all of the wonderful things that are needed to make sure that the podcast can stay up and running. So thank you for your support, and purchase the movie, because it's really interesting, and it's really different. I can guarantee that you have not seen anything like this film. It's very deep. Also, in other really fabulous news, Netflix has picked up The Little Prince for distribution, so sometime later this year we'll be able to watch The Little Prince via Netflix. So I'm really glad to hear about this. I've really been wanting to see this film and I was very sad to hear that it was no longer 
going to be distributed by Paramount Pictures here in the United States. So now we all have an opportunity to see it. So if you're a Netflix subscriber, you know, you can see it now. If you're not a Netflix subscriber, hey, maybe now's the time for you to start thinking about using that free trial. They have them all the time. And also speaking about The Little Prince, uh, Gallery Nucleus, which is here in uh, Southern California, is going to be having a book signing panel and also a reception for the film. So from three to six, they're going to be having the panel and book signing. And then from seven to 10, they're going to be having an exhibition of works based on the film. And they're going to have quite a few exhibiting artists. So if you go to gallerynucleus.com, you can check that out. Also, if you are an ASIFA Hollywood member, uh, the general membership meeting is going to be happening on Monday, April 4th at 6.30. They're going to have a dinner and then they're going to have a program. So if you're a member of ASIFA, stop by, go to the meeting, enjoy dinner. Hey, you're getting free food, you're getting entertainment, and you get to hear more about your industry. And that's always a really good thing to know what's going on. So check that out. And also, one last thing, a Center Stage Gallery is having their Christmas Challenge, and that's open until April 26th. And if you go to the centerstagegallery.com website, you'll be able to see what they're doing. So basically, you're just going to be designing, it looks like a Christmas card. And the grand prize is an Ivan Earl holiday card book and $500. So... Ivan Earl was a master when it comes to design. I've been to this exhibition that's currently going on. It's really amazing. It is very good, very interesting work. I love his line work. I love his colors. It's very cool to see. And who couldn't use an extra $500? I don't know a single person who's going to say, you know what? I really don't need more money. Everyone could use a little bit more money. So check that out, centerstagegallery.com. You can see all the details. So now you are well-informed in the world of animation. And just a heads up, for the first six minutes or so of this interview, there is a little bit of fuzz on Alice's side. Uh, we were able to figure out what was going on with technical issues there, and then the rest of the audio is clear. So just want to let you guys know, it's not going to last throughout the entire episode, so never fear about that. So with that out of the way, on with episode number five. Hello, everyone. I am very excited today. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast was to interview my friend, Alice Zhu. And Alice is a fantastic person. She is the 2015 gold winner for best animated film for the student academy awards which puts her in very rarefied air right up there with john lasseter and other greats and her film is called soar and you can catch it now on vimeo we'll have a link in the show notes it is absolutely great it was a collaboration at our school academy of art university and she is also a director at smule which is a san francisco company that creates apps that enable people to create and make music. And she was also an animator for Oculus VR, which was acquired by Facebook last year. And they're the folks responsible for Oculus Story Studio, which is on the cutting edge of new animation. Please welcome Alice. Hello, Alice. Hi, Angela. Thanks so much for having me. Such a pleasure to have you. This is this is going to be a really fun interview. Yeah, so super excited. 
Very excited as well. So with all those things, so let's, I always like to start at the beginning, you know, where you're from, what your influences were and what led you to be where you are today. So tell us a little about yourself. Sure. I've, I've loved art ever since I was little. I remember holding a pencil when I was two and just never stopping sketching and drawing. And when I was very young, um, you know, when they would ask, what do you want to be when you grow up in elementary school? I always said artist. Up until maybe late middle school, early high school, when, you know, my parents and I were really thinking about what I wanted to pursue. And it just seemed like majoring in, for example, the fine arts didn't seem very practical. Um, but up until then, you know, I had fallen in love with film. I I watched The Little Mermaid every day for like two months when I was five and then grew up to like spend summers watching uh, and renting, you know, DVDs every day. And it was always something that I loved. But, you know, when I got older, it didn't seem like something that was practical to pursue. And so I ended up going to Princeton to study architecture, which I thought was a nice combination of art and something technical. And I loved it in school. You know, in school, it felt like art studio. We were building things with our hands, like cardboard models and you know, even animating cameras and things like that and texturing our buildings in uh, 3ds Max is this, the program that we used. I graduated Princeton in 2010. And after a difficult job search, because we were, you know, in the middle of the recession, uh, I got a job at Pelly Clark Pelly Architects. And so I worked in architecture for a year. And um, I realized that the the world of professional architecture is is quite different from school, and I know it varies from depending on where you work. I loved working there, um, but that was when you know I decided maybe architecture wasn't right for me, and the idea came to me to to you know maybe it's now is the right time, and it may be worthwhile to pursue what I really love, which which is film and animation. That's great, and that's that's a really cool story too because. Your story parallels uh, several other people that I've spoken to both on the podcast and off the podcast about having a love for film, but at the onset of it, not really thinking, you know, can I do this as a career? Will I be able to support myself going into something else and then realizing when they're done, but I still really love movies and I still really love animation. I'm going to try it anyway. Let's see what happens. Right. And I think it's it's never too late. You know, another thought that was going through my head is like, I already went to four years of undergrad and I paid for this and I studied something quite different from film. But I think one of the biggest motivations to go into something is to ask yourself whether or not you would regret it if you didn't. And I think I would have very much regretted it if I never pursued film in my life. Sounds great. So what inspired you then to focus on animation and to go to art school in particular, as opposed to, you know, maybe focusing on live action and pursuing that route? I think it must be my background in art. Not all 3D animators or people who go into 3D animation necessarily draw, but I do have a fine arts background. And uh, there was always something very appealing about uh, the movement, the the sort of aesthetic, uh, not only just the the look of the character, but the way they move, that sort of aesthetic that appealed to me. For sure, I even now I don't think I have a strong preference for animation or live action. I love both. But that's what encouraged me to go 
to school for animation. I had a portfolio. Uh, there was just something about it that that I, you know, that really attracted me. And not only did it attract me, I just thought that I was a better fit for it because I had that art background. And then what led you to go to Academy of Art? It's an interesting story. I think there's a lot of coincidence that plays that plays a role. Uh, so right after, well, I was still in New York working in architecture and uh, my boyfriend at the time was working in Silicon Valley. I knew that, you know, San Francisco was a place I hadn't been. I was excited to to visit at least at first. I went to visit and um, with the maybe a pre- preliminary plan to move there and not knowing what I was going to do there. And I interviewed at a few architecture places. And honestly, at, at least at the time, there was very very small architecture industry, if anything, here. And it was hard to to find a place. And so I knew I wanted to stay in San Francisco. It was sort of the place to be. Uh, I knew Pixar was here. And so I was like, well, you know, let's see what, what art schools are here. And I remember looking at both uh, the Academy of Art and the Art Institute. And it just seemed like the Academy Art of Art had really updated facilities. Like whenever the programs and the hardware would update, they would bring in like new computers. But also the thesis program for a 3D animation there had you create a short film. And I always knew I wanted to go to get my master's degree and come out with something that I'm proud of, like a project, something that I could work on in the long term. And a film was the most ideal thing, you know, Uh, in school, I imagine that you would have the resources and everything that you would be able to get and, and the sort of collaborative atmosphere that you'd be able to get to create a film, something that you probably wouldn't have if you didn't go to school. All right. So you're now at the Academy, you're in animation class. And I remember meeting you in traditional animation one and seeing your work and just thinking, wow, she's really, really good. I want to talk to her because she definitely knows what she's doing. It just seemed that you had an intuitive sense of how things were working. And I was wondering if that helped you develop the film that you ended up getting the award for, if that helped you develop SOAR, or if there were other things that led to SOAR's creation. I really enjoyed the 2D animation class. I think that, you know, if I ended up pursuing and concentrating on 2D, maybe I would have been, uh, I would have fallen in love with that, maybe even more so than animation in a few ways. Uh, but, but you know, animation is, it's just different. Uh, 3D animation is, is more relevant nowadays, and um, it allows you to do more. I can't really say for sure, but I, I love that class because it allowed you to draw. And um, I was really hard on myself, especially in the beginning, because I was going back to school, right? Um, I had already gone to school. And so this was this was my chance to really pursue what I loved. I didn't want to, to you know, waste my time there. Um, yeah, so I do remember like spending like hours a day just drawing frames, right? And you remember that. It was like, even if you were animating on twos. I remember all of us being in the lab at seven in the morning and our class was at 10 and everybody going, no, I can, I can do one more frame. I can make that, you know, especially when we first were learning about the bouncing ball. Like I remember using half a ream of paper just to do a bouncing ball and just feeling like, I know I'm killing trees, but I'm going to get this to look the way it needs to look. 
Right, right. And it, the thinking was really interesting. Like it was the first time I had actually animated. And so you're thinking the thinking that goes into like keyframes is like, it's that's a creative challenge. You need to get your poses right. You need to get the character to look appealing. Then once you're working on the in-betweens, you have to like shift your mindset, um, your frame of thinking to like, all right, let's just, this is a little bit more tedious, especially if you have like your main in-betweens and you're just like literally in-betweening like space between the movement to make it flow. Then you're just like, okay, I, I can do this. But but in the end, it's like there are two twofold challenges, right? It's like uh, creative challenge and then time. You just need a ton of time to like make enough frames. <laughs> but anyway, going off of that class, I, I definitely think it helped uh, with SOAR that that class made me more detail oriented when it came to to the movement of of characters you know the the computer in 3d animation makes like motion just pure motion so easy you know you just put two keyframes and the computer interpolates between the two but when you have a little bit of experience in 2d you know that originally that's not what the artists were able to do and that you needed to draw every frame and so that made me place more attention on on the in-between frames and that motion you know and to get a feel at least when I first started 3D that in order for the motion to be natural you know they need to travel in arcs and and all the those principles that we learned in in 2D you know the basics are incredibly incredibly important and with SOAR I I feel the 2D animation class definitely gave me the the sort of mindset that I needed to get into animation that it's it's meticulous you have to you have to really put your mind to it and spend the time that's needed the storyboarding class was also a huge kind of jumping off point for me because that was when they were my teacher Bob Steele <laughs> uh, oh we yeah all, Bob we all love is, him, right? yeah Bob if you're <laughs> listening thank you everyone I know that took that class we're all the, we're all the better for it Definitely. I'll I'll never forget Bob. He's not only a character, but he really pushes you to produce your best work, which is what teachers are supposed to do. And I'm really grateful for those that do it. He really had me thinking hard about the story for Soar. And I think the reason that it ended up doing well was mainly due to story. You know, like if you don't get the story right, it's it's really difficult to to touch people and make make them kind of empathize with characters. And so, yeah, I, I, I did my three pitches and he had us basically write up a treatment for three different versions of the story, which I did. And I handed it in and I got the feedback from him. And, you know, Bob is really hard to impress. He He had like very lukewarm feedback for all three ideas. And I was like, no, this is not going to work. Like I need to come up with a story. This is my thesis. I need to come up with a story that that is solid that like blows people away sort of thing. And so I went back home and during that weekend, I came up with the idea of SOAR um, inspired by, I guess, a fascination with the sky, also inspired by my desire to sort of like have a different twist on an origin story. For example, how the sky came to be blue or, you know, how the clouds are in the sky and things like that. I came up with the idea of SOAR. I typed it up. It was like very short one page thing. I submitted it to Bob and he really had nothing to say about it. He had maybe like one suggestion, but when he has very little to say, you know that 
he he liked it. <laughs> so the the more critique that that was a sign that uh, sorry the less critique that was a sign that that I was going the right direction. Excellent. So then you started working on Soar. What led you to decide to turn it into a collaboration within the 3D department as opposed and have it be an official collaboration through school as opposed to getting a couple of friends together and working on it that way? I remember that it was a pretty big decision. First, the decision to not work on my own and to work with other people, period. That was a decision I had to make. You know, being like an introverted person, I didn't plan in the beginning to definitely work with people, you know, and I was naive too. I just didn't know how much work 3D animation would take. And so it was with the very, very adamant encouragement of Tom Bertino and Chris Armstrong, people who were overseeing uh, the thesis development, basically my mentors and the directors at the Academy of Art that I was like, all right, well, I guess... I don't really have a choice but to work with with people. This project is ambitious enough that it requires a team. And to what you had mentioned about making this into an official project, that also scared me a little bit. At the time, I had a producer, Anson Yu, and it was the two of us. And we had gone pretty far already. We had our we had done our visual development, and we were. Uh, going into doing models and it seemed like we were doing fine for ourselves just without making it into an official project and what made us consider making it an official project was also the suggestion of our mentors uh, Derek Flood was someone that I went to to ask for advice and he said this would really benefit from being an official project because you need the number of like lighters and textures in order to make this look the way you want it to. And by making an official project, you're essentially putting it through class in school. And so you definitely will have at least the numbers. To my mind, it also meant less control because you you shared a little bit of the creative direction, especially with someone like Derek, who's very experienced and he has strong opinions. Oh, and let people know who Derek is as well. Oh, sure. Derek is the VFX director at the Academy of Art University. I went to him for advice because he had already done collaborative projects in the past, like Sidekick. And he was a person to to go to. He used to work at DreamWorks and he had a ton of experience. So he said, we should really make this into a cloud project because it's it's ambitious. You need the numbers. You need the students. You need to put it through class so you have enough people to work on it in the texturing and lighting phase. And at first I was a little afraid because that meant less control for me. I didn't get to choose who exactly worked on my project before I could like really like hand pick um, the people that I wanted to work with. And maybe if either uh, the skill level wasn't there or if we didn't get along or something, I could choose, I guess, perhaps not to work with them. But with this, it's less control and not only less control over who's on my team, but also less, a little less creative control in my mind. But ultimately, I realized that, yes, I, I had an ambitious project and there are a few sacrifices that need to be made. I just didn't know enough about that stage of the pipeline, the lighting and texturing phase in order just to do it on my own. I wouldn't even know if the artists were going about it the right way. And so 
the project came to be under uh, Derek's wing, basically. And it was all much better for it, really. He brought a level of polish to soar that is that is quite important. You know, nowadays people watch it and they're like, "Oh, this could be a Pixar short before their feature film." You know, and I think the polish had a lot to do with it, and and the look of really the the visual look of the entire thing, and that would not have been possible without Derek and making it, it uh, an official collaboration. I feel. Yeah, and it, it definitely benefited from being an official collaboration because you look at the credits and you can tell just the quality of the film, like you said, is astounding. I've seen, you know, quite a few student films from not only people from our school, but people from, you know, all across the United States and across the world. And your film, it does not feel like it was made by students. I mean, just the level of professionalism of everybody involved. It's just, it works at such a high level. And, you know, that's definitely something for people to aspire to when they're working to try to do the very best that they can. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I think um, the, one of the things that we kept in mind during the development of it was to aspire to the highest bar. And it sounds a little silly, but you know, my producer Anson and I were talking about, well, what's our goal? And just joking around, we were like, the Oscars. And, and, you know, in the end, it wasn't really joking around because even though we were joking around, it didn't feel like a joke and it ended up making our project better because the higher the bar is, the more you're going to try to, to reach it, you know, no matter how lofty. And so we would ask ourselves, like, is, is, is this shot good enough? to win the Oscars or something like that. You know, is it good enough to stand beside professional films? And and even now, once it's done, I, I can't say it like really holds a candle. Like if you if you really know animation, uh, um, at least to, to a certain extent, at least I know it doesn't really hold a candle to a DreamWorks film or a Pixar film. Um, but to maybe someone who hadn't hasn't seen as much animation, it looks good enough. And I think I think part of the reason is because we, we with our very green <laughs> eyes, you know, like our student, um, with our student level experience, tried to make it the best we could. As a first time director, what were some of the things that you learned going through the process that has helped you now that you're directing professionally? I would say... As a student, one of the most exhilarating things is to dive headfirst into something that you have no experience in. And as a student, that experience is expected, right? You're, you're expected to learn. And, and that always results in putting yourself out of your comfort zone. And I think I learned to do that enough in school that now, even when it's not necessarily expected of me to constantly put myself out of my comfort zone, I still know that it's important to do so. As a professional director, I could just, especially now that I'm doing live action, which is completely new, that in itself was a decision that I, I wanted, I, I made because I wanted experience in live action, whereas I had none before. And that itself was already very scary. Like live action is a completely 
very, very different from animation where you're sitting behind a screen and, and it's, it's very difficult, uh, just as difficult as animation, but in um, different ways. I would say even after deciding to do live action, I could have just stuck with things that I know how to do, you know, um, constantly doing outdoor shoots with natural lighting, things like that, that I'm comfortable with because I did a lot of photography before, but school really allowed me to see that you don't improve if you just keep on doing the same thing, right? And there will be moments now, especially now that I'm basically my company right now makes me do like a new video every month. There are moments where you're just in the situation and you, you're like a deer in headlights. Like you have never done it before, but you know, you're trying to to make it seem as if you're comfortable and you're confident and things like that. And there will always be moments like that where you're scared and you just like, you know, like you have to make it seem as if you're more confident than you are because you have never done it before. But it's from those situations that you learn the most. What were some of the the challenges that you faced too? Because you had a, a team of over a hundred students. What was it like helping to manage a hundred students? That to me seems like that would be on par with, you know, herding cats. Like how did you how did you and Derek, how were you guys able to get all of that together? Yeah. When people hear that a hundred students worked on SOAR, I think what they imagine is like literally a hundred people in a few rooms and we have to like run to room to room or it's like in a Pixar kind of level hall and we're talking to a hundred students at once. But it just wasn't the case. The 3D animation pipeline has a lot of stages. You know, it goes from visual development to... I guess pre-production has a lot of stages in itself, like storyboarding and creating the animatic, the beginning stages of music, but also modeling and rigging and animation and texturing and lighting. And all of those stages need people. And they're usually not done simultaneously. There is some overlap. So for example, texturing and lighting would happen at the same time, overlapping a bit with animation that started earlier than that. And so I would say, you know, if you were to divide it into pipelines, uh, into stages, you would have eight people on animation and 30 people on texturing and 30 more people on lighting. Then you had 20 people on compositing and lighting. And so at any given time, we were working with maybe 30 people at most. And that happened during the collaborative process through school. And that was when it became an official collaboration for the texture lighting stages. We, Derek and I were juggling 30 people at most. And that is still pretty difficult, I would say, mostly because everyone has a different style of working and their work tends to look different. And so I think the biggest challenge there was to make sure we the film still looked cohesive at the end. One of the methods that we used was to create a global template. This is a template for compositing. And so after you render out your shots, you plug it into, in essence, the same template, and then you tweak that template to make each individual shot look good. But at the same time, that template already uh, factors in a level of cohesiveness. And so each shot doesn't deviate too much from the next. That sounds really easy, but it took us like two semesters to really create that global template. That was, that was really, really difficult to do. 
And I think personality wise too, you know, you have certain team members who will be amazing. You know, they'll be both talented and team team workers, you know, like they they play well in a team. And that's that's to say that not everyone does that as well as as you'd want ideally. Um I, I am so thankful for my entire team, but that was another challenge, you know. So yeah, working with people uh, with different personalities, um, some some were better at working in a team than others. I'm grateful for my entire team, obviously. But but you know, you you sort of change your directing style to to fit who you're talking to, and to sort of try to encourage them to produce the sort of work that you're imagining. That's excellent. And one of the other things that I really liked about your film and your process is that you created an Indiegogo campaign to help raise funds so that you could send your film to various film festivals. And I was curious, not only how you decided to use Indiegogo, but how you decided to have a marketing campaign. Because I know that's something that not a lot of students think of. They usually think of, I want to make the film and I want to get a job, but they're not always thinking about, but how will I get it to film festivals? So how did you decide this is the route that we need to take. There was a point where we realized that submitting to festivals was going to be a lot of money. And it was money that we didn't really have. And we had seen how often crowdfunding campaigns were successful. And we thought that was the obvious way to go. But we also thought, hey, you know, for Kickstarters, they usually have products starting campaigns. And so people donate and are incentivized because they end up receiving a product as the reward, um, you know, or they see a video and it seems like something they really want to own. So what is the incentive for people to donate to a film? Yes, they get to see it, but they don't really actually hold anything in their hands, you know? And so we thought, well, we need to really blow them away with, with the visuals. We need essentially a marketing campaign. And I think I, I really wanted to do it right because I, I have a little bit of a background in graphic design as well. And in college, I uh, headed a graphic design business just because I had a, a background in art and I thought it was going to be fun to design posters. And it was definitely. But it, it sort of gave me a little experience into the business side of things and how how incredibly important it is to package something well. You know, people click on the link to the funding you know, the Indiegogo site and what they're going to see are a bunch of images. They might not even read a lot. And so you wanted to have a logo for your film, Soar. One of the reasons why I even chose the the title Soar was because it was simple and short and it could easily be designed into a logo. And we needed posters. We needed uh, not only physical posters to post around the Academy of Arts so people can check out the link, but we needed graphics to post as banners up on Facebook and things like that. We started the campaign before we launched. So in the week before I had emailed everybody that I knew, divided them into groups, essentially, like my friends, my really close friends, my school contacts, my work contacts, my college contacts. It was like 10 mailing lists of different groups of people. And I drafted, you know, personalized messages to them saying that, I was starting this campaign and it was really important to me. I think one of the most important things, you can have the best marketing campaign in the world, but 
they have to feel something toward it, especially with a crowdfunding campaign, they have to feel they have a personal stake in it. And so we tried to make it feel as personal as possible that they were really helping me, you know, and my producer Anson and everybody on the team who's worked so hard on this. So the emails went out. Uh, we started trying to build hype on our Facebook page well before we launched and having a plan, having visuals, you know, I think if I had to do this again, I would have an even larger marketing team because at the time I had a graphic designer, Astra, who was amazing, a web designer, Khan, who was also extremely helpful. And, but I was really the one doing a lot of the graphics that, that I was using for the Indiegogo campaign. And I'd love to do it, but it always helps to have more like specialized help. And yeah. And so that was essentially, uh, how we began the campaign. Yeah, so that was a, a very successful campaign. In one month, y'all raised $16,315, which was 117% funded. And that enabled you to submit to all sorts of festivals, uh, the likes of which you'll be able to see on the link in the show notes uh, to the film Soar. And of course, the one at the very top of the list is, you know, gold winner for Best Animated Film Student Academy Awards. So let's go ahead and talk about that. Let's get into that. How how was that entire experience? I know that you spent a week in LA getting to talk to a variety of people. So let's walk through what happened with that whole situation and how amazing that was. It was indeed very amazing. It was always one of our goals to to get the Student Academy Award if possible, but it just didn't seem like uh, we didn't actually, you know, we didn't really have anything to measure. We knew that a previous Academy of Art film had won the Student Academy Award, which was Dragon Boy. That was the first time I had ever even heard of the Student Academy Awards. I was very impressed that that um, one of our own had won it. That was definitely one of our goals. We thought that would be, how amazing would that be, right? To have a student film recognized by the Academy. And once we started winning some festivals and getting screened at festivals, we thought maybe, yeah, maybe this is a possibility. And one day I got a call. It was from someone who worked at the Academy and he left a message and said, this is urgent. You need to call me back. There's a problem with your submission. And I said, what? Oh no. Like, are we going to be disqualified because our file has like some glitch in it or something? So I called back immediately my face was just like tense. I was like, is everything okay? And he's like, congratulations, you've won the Student Academy Awards. And I'm like, dang. <laughs> That's like the ultimate fake out. It's like, psych, everything's completely fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, I hate you, but yay. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure they love doing that, too. I'm sure they're like, how can I completely freak them out? I know. <laughs> they love it. I know. Afterward, when we met all the winners, I was like, they, they basically it's said, a nice little victory. exactly the same thing with everyone. <laughs> so he said we had won. And in my mind, I was like, wait, so what happens at the ceremony if we've already won? And so then I learned that the Student Academy Awards work a little bit differently than than the real the real big league Oscars. What happens at the Student Academy Awards is that each category has 
three winners, which are kind of equivalent to nominees. And those winners go to spend a week in LA of industry events and networking events organized by the Academy. And then the last day is a ceremony hosted by the Academy again, where they choose gold, silver, and bronze. And so there's a ranking, I guess, at the end. So that was that was incredible. I, I didn't even really think about what was going to happen that week and had no expectations when I went down, but it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. They just, the Academy spent so much time and care to make sure that we as students and new filmmakers felt welcome and that we had the experience that we wanted to learn from veterans in the field and everything. Um, I think we were all incredibly grateful. We met, you know, so many uh, former animators, current animators. We toured the DreamWorks campus, spoke to you know, people like Bonnie Hunt, like uh, a major producer that's worked on How to Train Your Dragon, all these different films. We met, you know, editors and and agents and managers just to see how each aspect of Hollywood really works. Actually, representation agents and managers was something that I didn't know anything about uh, before going. So the, the experience was very educational. The last day at night was the ceremony. And again, I, I feel like I walked in without expectations. I feel like, you know, if you're going to, if you're walking in expecting to win or something, you're probably, there's a likely chance that you're just going to get disappointed. And, you know, after that week of hanging out with the winners, I felt like everyone deserved to win. It was just so palpable, the passion everyone had and how hard they worked. And they just seemed all very genuine um, about the craft that it was like, in the end rankings, how much do they matter? That night, John Lasseter presented the award for animation and it was enough of like a pleasure and exhilarating experience to see him up there like presenting right in front of us. And they presented the gold to us. It it was it was kind of surreal, you know. The moment that silver was announced, and they had announced bronze and silver, and we and it just like dawned on me, like, oh, we've won gold. Like I kind of froze up and didn't really know what to think. And all all my friends at that point, the the other winners were kind of like looking over at me, being like, oh my gosh, oh my god, um, yeah. And it was. It was really an honor. And I got a chance to see your acceptance speech on uh, the Oscars. They posted it on YouTube and you were very gracious and just thank, you know, everyone on your team. And it was, it was just really, really cool to see. Honestly, this is all thanks to the team and you've seen how many people worked on it and every single one of those people contributed something very valuable and the the film wouldn't have looked the way it does and you know just feels the way it does without every single one of their contributions and so it is in a way a little weird for one person to go up and accept an award when so many people have contributed but I wanted to be able to like speak for all of them so then you know coming off of that and then Going back to San Francisco, what was it like once you got home? Did that completely change your mindset of, okay, 
this is how I'm now going to do things? Or has it been more part of a continuation of just how you want to continue to work? I think the biggest effect of the Student Academy Awards was exposure for my film and for me. As a result of that experience, I, I managed to get representation in L.A. So now I'm repped by William Morris Endeavor and I have managers. We are working on a feature length pitch for SOAR. And I'm realizing now that this is the big leagues. You know, it's like, I mean, it, it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn or something. And what I just mean by the big leagues is there is actually some glimmering chance that I could work with a studio like DreamWorks, like maybe not Pixar because they do everything in-house, but um, like Sony or Paramount, Warner Brothers. It's You look at these studios like you're going to be forever detached from them. You know, that like they're wonderful. They've made these huge movies, How to Train Your Dragon and, you know, like Ice Age, like Blue Skies. You never really, really picture yourself, at least I didn't, like having playing a big role. Like maybe, oh, I would be an animator or something, but never that I would direct a movie. And now I'm at the brink of something that could be bigger than I had imagined. And there's a very small possibility, but the possibility is there nonetheless. Our plan is to pitch the feature length version of SOAR to studios, uh, big and large. Um, or two studios, small and large, I should say. And there's a chance that I could direct the feature length of Soar or another story at a studio. It's, you know, like I don't, sometimes I don't permit myself to think about it too much in depth. I don't exactly want to get my hopes up too much because I know I know how difficult it is to to really secure a position like that. But the, the Student Academy Awards changed my thinking in that it allowed me to imagine that as even the smallest possibility. And, and that is very exciting. That is exciting. And I'm, I'm very happy for you that you got a rep. And I myself, I would love to see a feature length version of SOAR. So when that happens, we'll have you back on the show and you can talk about how all of that came to be because that will be amazing. Thanks. I hope so too. I, I have my fingers crossed. All right. So let's talk now because you had some very, you know, other jobs like we mentioned earlier that have been very interesting and helpful to you as well. Uh, one of them is that you were an animator for Oculus Rift or for Oculus VR, I should say, which is making the Oculus Rift. So can you talk a little bit about your experience with them and what you were able to work with with them. Sure. I really enjoyed working at Oculus VR. It made me realize how amazing it is to work in Silicon Valley in San Francisco because honestly, um we are in a way at the cutting edge of of technology and especially at the marriage of film and technology. And Oculus VR, a story studio was the division that I worked at, was definitely there. They were, as the producer uh, Edward Sachi would say a lot, at the bleeding edge of film and technology. When I went there, 
you know, even now I would say VR is in its infant stages. But when I went there, I, I, I realized that we had such a talented team of people who had experience at Electronic Arts, at Pixar, at DreamWorks, but everybody was new at VR. And so we were really just trailblazing, but also trying to get our footing at the same time. It was a very, very exciting experience because every time you put on those Oculus VR goggles, you didn't expect, you didn't know what to expect. There was a lot of R&D, a lot of trial and error, but putting those goggles on for the same, for the first time and seeing a character that you've animated in a virtual reality space that you can, in which you can turn around 360 degrees and see this character like jumping in front of you and making connection with you. That was something that I never experienced before. And it made me think, Hey, like I actually believe that VR might just be the future. I don't think that film as we know it now will die or be replaced by VR. I think it's a, a different experience that we've opened a door into and you know you open the door and and it's not just a room but it's like an entire world that we didn't know existed before it's just a different filmic experience so finally we finished henry it was honestly like in the beginning it was slated to be like a small project i thought i was just going to be there as a contractor for like five weeks it ended up taking half a year because the more we worked on it, the more we were like, well, this is actually something big. Like, this is something that can open people's eyes to the potential of storytelling through VR. And so we made it the best that we could make it. And I was very, very uh, grateful to have been a part of that experience. We launched the film in this like big mansion in LA. We basically rented it out and put these VR stations everywhere, which is like the only way you can experience VR. It's not like people can sit in a theater or anything. Um, you're in these like isolated, quiet spaces. You put on the goggles and you sit down. It's actually a sitting seated experience. And you watch the five to 10 minute film, depending on um, how you interacted with it. So it's interesting because the story actually responds to how you interact with it. Depending on where you look, uh, there are different story ideas and different character behaviors that are triggered by you. And so that's why I say five to 10 minutes. It really depends on you how long the story is going to be. That was That was just very, very memorable. I was so glad to be a part of that. And it is definitely something that I would love to return to one day, you know, to go back into VR. But one of the reasons I decided to do what I'm doing now, which is directing live action, is that I feel like I should have a broader experience in all in more methods of filmmaking before I go dive headfirst into the new evolution of filmmaking. All right, that's very cool. And for our listeners out there, can you tell us a little bit about the film that you worked on, Henry? What is that about? And when will they be able to see it? How will they is that something where once they have the Rift goggles, they'll be able to see it? Or how is that going to work? Yes. All right. Plug for Oculus Rift goggles. <laughs> you can pre-order your Oculus Rift goggles now. And they... <laughs> anyway, yes. Uh, Henry will be a part of of the new um, headset that's coming out soon. Henry is a story about a lonely hedgehog who celebrates his birthday with no friends. 
He makes a wish for friends and something very magical happens. You're going to have to see it to find out what. How did you get the opportunity to work with them? I would say a lot of the recruiting, like the majority of the recruiting for Studio Studio, because they were so small, came from word of mouth. And so I found out about them because I had a former Pixar instructor who referred me to Ramiro because Ramiro was looking for junior animators. Ramiro is the director of Henry. So Ramiro contacted me, said that they were looking, and I went in for an interview and... I started working along with another uh, animator, Bruna, and we uh, we were both from the Academy of Art, so we both started at the same time and ended up staying as contractors for the half year that they needed us for Henry. So I would say, you know, you think that in school, class is just class, but you are making contacts that you will most likely realize are extremely helpful for professional opportunities in the future, not only among your students, but among your teachers, like your teachers, sometimes they're working in the industry or they have worked in the industry and have contacts that will help you get jobs. And so the impression that you make in school is so much more important than, than you might think at the time. That is excellent advice. And very true. I know you speak from personal experience and I do as well. I know a lot of people that have gotten jobs through their professors, people that are working with their professors, and then from fellow students and wanting to do collaborations. So it's good to get to know people and also to do very good work. All right, so you mentioned that you're now doing live action videos for Smule and that you're working on one a month. What is that experience like? And what are some of the videos that you had a chance to work on? After Oculus, I think I was at a sort of crossroads where I could decide to continue um, working in animation in VR or do something different. And at around that time, I was a video producer for Smule, but that was essentially all I was. I was kind of editing and, and making small internal videos for them. I didn't picture myself staying at Smule for very long, but they proposed a position for me that would allow me to direct a video every month and travel the world to meet the musicians that use their app. So Smeal creates musical apps. They're sort of like a musical social network where people who love to sing and who love to play instruments make recordings of themselves and they, you know, form these strong friendships and, and network with each other and have fun, uh, most importantly. And in that community, there are, there's so many uh, diverse communities in there that that we haven't even like scraped the tip of the iceberg when it comes to getting to know them and knowing where they come from. So the the purpose of this position, the position was the director of a division called Smeal Studio, which is the video production division of Smeal. The purpose of Smeal Studio was to go out, travel to members of the community, which are all over the world, and film their experiences, their stories, and even help them to gain some exposure. So I would say the two main types of videos I make, one are cinematic music videos and the other are documentaries. The cinematic music videos, the purpose of those is to put Smeal in a position to give our most talented musicians exposure that they deserve. 
Like, for example, some people are incredibly talented. They use our app, but they don't have a polished video or a polished recording in order to send to publishers or, or labels or something like that. And so we're there to not only help them propel their careers forward, but to show our community that, you know, we care for them. And, and the other type is a mini documentary, you know, like five minutes telling the stories of people all over the world, you know, people are connected by music. And so if you go to, if you go to China, you're going to find somebody who uses sing karaoke and their experience using it will be very different from, from ours. So my time working at Smeela has really opened my eyes to how different we are and yet the same. I've gone to places where I normally probably wouldn't have gone if not for this job, right? I went, I just recently went to Jacksonville, Florida, which is not really a place that you would go on vacation or anything, but meeting the people there just made me realize like, you know, maybe people there, the communities there are a little more conservative or they live on ranches and more rural, uh, in more rural communities, um, but at the same time, they still love what we love. You know, everyone loves music and they're, you, you can find caring people there just as much as you can find in San Francisco. And I'm sure in our future, we will go to Asia and Australia and all these other places where the crew ourselves, our eyes will be opened, but hopefully we can open the minds of the rest of the Smeal community as well as the general public and whoever watches our videos. That sounds amazing. And I'm really excited to hear about the future of the other videos that you work on, future of SOAR, and all of your other projects. Now, I know you have a lot of different things that you're working on, you know, both with SOAR and over at Smule. Do you have any other personal projects that you're currently working on or other things that are in the mix? No, I think this keeps my plate pretty full. Uh, I would say the two main things are um, making videos at Smule and coming up with a, a solid feature treatment to pitch to studio soon. How do you manage your time? Because that's a concern that a lot of people have when, you know, they're working full time and also they're working like you're working on your feature pitch and other people out there may be working on a children's book or a comic or their own short. How do you balance all that out so that not only do you get your projects done, but you also you know, have time for sleep and time for family. I feel an important thing to do is learn what makes you work the best. Something that I've learned since coming out of school, where they basically think everyone works the same, is that people work in very different ways. Um, for me, what works the best is bursts of hard work, but in short periods of time, to be honest, like, I'll work really hard for like two hours and then I'll need a break. I think the worst way for me to work is to be trying to be sitting at my desk for like eight hours in a row and not taking a mental break because I will be productive for like two hours and then the rest of the hours I'm just really slow or just distracted and I'm feeling guilty while I'm distracted. And so I feel like you need to really pay attention to how you feel and how your mind is feeling. Like when you are mentally drained, you take a break. But then because you know you've taken a break, you have to go back and do work. You know, just just to keep yourself disciplined, but but listen to your body. 
don't just work eight hours because you think that's that's what people do or don't leave things at the last minute so you're forced to work eight hours, be honest with yourself. Like you know you're not gonna be able to do your best work the last day before something has to be submitted. So take a little bit of time and take the breaks that you need. Excellent. Well, thank you for the amazing advice. And just thank you very much for your time today, Alice. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show and you sharing your story with everyone out there and just encouraging everyone out there to just do what you love, whether that's animation, live action, whether you want to work in VR, be a director, you know, if that's your goal, go for it. That is amazing. Thank you, Angela. It was a pleasure. Awesome. So where can people find you online if they want to check out your work and follow up on what you're currently working on? Sure. They can check out alicezoo.com. If they click to into the Vimeo link for SOAR, they can also see a little bit of my other work on my Vimeo channel. Excellent. So again, thank you so much for your time. It's greatly appreciated and have a wonderful day. Thanks, Angela. You too. And there you have it. Special thanks again to Alice. Thank you so much for being a wonderful and awesome guest on the show. Happy to have you. Looking forward to hearing about your further adventures with SOAR. As I mentioned during the interview, as soon as I hear that SOAR is getting picked up for a theatrical release, all of you will be the first to know. I am super stoked about everything that Alice is working on, and I wish her the very best. And thank you all, dear listeners, for supporting the show. I've gotten a lot of good feedback from people about how much they enjoy it, how much they've enjoyed hearing everyone's stories and listening to all of the guests. So thank you, everyone, for your support. Thank you for supporting the sponsors Amazon and Audible via the website. And thank you for your donations via PayPal. Every little bit helps. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave a positive review in iTunes. All of your reviews help the show to get more notoriety in iTunes so that it can climb the charts so that even more people can find out about the show. So thank you all for your support. And you can find The Animated Journey online by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com. And you can follow the show on Twitter by visiting at AnimJourney. And Twitter is celebrating its 10th birthday this year. So happy birthday, Twitter. 10 years of revolutionizing social media. And become a fan on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. And also, The Animated Journey is now available on Stitcher Radio. So you can find it on Stitcher Radio. It's also available on Player FM. And if you're interested in finding out more about me, you can check out my online portfolio by visiting www.sketchysoul.com. You can follow me on Twitter by going to at sketchysoul. You can check out my Tumblr page by visiting sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And you can follow me on Instagram by going to at sketchy underscore soul. And go out there and do really good things. And especially to all of you students out there, now is the time to apply for summer internships. So I wish all of you well with your summer internships. I wish all of you well with your final projects. Those of you who are graduating this year, it's March. I know that you're feeling the crunch of, will I get my film done? Will I get my storyboards done? Will I get my texturing and modeling and rigging assignments done? You will. I have full confidence in you. You're going to go out and do great things. So congrats ahead of time to all of you students out there and all of you out there who are pursuing your dreams. So I hope that all of you have a great week. Be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. 